Hey, thanks for joining us for this series that we're calling Founding Fathers. And today, we're gonna to be looking at a specific character from scripture who you can learn from and can help you grow in your faith. God did great things through these men and women, and God can do great things through you. We hope that you enjoy this teaching and that you'll take a moment before you log off to fill out your connection card. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us through this video in these moments, and we hope that it encourages you in your faith. Stay through to the end. We'll have a special message for you when we wrap things up. Enjoy this teaching. Good morning. That was terrible. <laughs> Just try that again. Good morning. Well, it's glad to have you here this morning for our service, and I hope you enjoyed the music, and the Lord has been using that and the Word in your life. You received two things as you came in. Uh, one is a sheet about John Newton that you just saw, the the, the Amazing Grace, and the second is just an empty outline with some propaganda in it that I'm going to share with you today, and uh, one of the things you need is something like this. I just dropped it. I got two, like this, and you need one of those because after the service, I'm going to check on you and see how you did, and if you did well... I've got a gift certificate to McDonald's for you. No, that's not true. <laughs> Another, if you need one of those outlines, raise your hand, and the guys will get them to you right now. Just don't be afraid to do that. There's a lady right here in the front. I don't embarrass people much, but uh, and, and there's a couple others that are here. Also, we like to use the axe. For our study, if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 9 is where we're going. This is the second time in about four weeks I've had the privilege to preach. Uh, however, last time was in Chile with my other son, who is Josh's twin. Uh, you'll have to decide who's the best looking, who's the wisest, and uh, that's your issue that you need to deal with. 
But a lot of humility. <laughs> but that was in Spanish. But I don't speak Spanish. So my other son, Jared, he had to interrupt for me. And when I would make a mistake, he'd correct me in English and then tell everybody else in Spanish. And so I had a wonderful time uh, being there with my other son and four grandkids and his wife and was able to share the word of God there and enjoyed that opportunity in the church that they're in. There's a little booklet that I have here that has uh, become very important to me. And it fits right into our time today. About 50 of you already have one of these booklets because last year we gave them out to people that wanted them. It's called Prayer Journal for people who are facing persecution. And we're talking about Stephen, Stephen, Saul, the killer. This talks about 90 countries where Christians are being persecuted today. Some are ranked as hostile. Some are ranked as restricted. All of them speak about the dangers of being a Christian in one of those 90 countries. Some of the stories are too gory for me to tell you at this minute in time. It surprised me when I got this booklet a couple years ago, comes out every year, that one country that is very close to us has a lot of persecution and killing going on of Christians. And that's Mexico. That surprised me. That in southern Mexico, there's an animus religious group. That's an interesting term, by the way. And there's a lot of Marxist atheists. And they make it their goal to stop Christianity. We have an awesome privilege here this morning just to come and worship. These people cannot do that in secret, in hiding. And yet, according to the article, people are coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Anybody wants one of these? I don't have any more than this one right here at this minute. I'll be more than happy to get some for you because it's an important part of my life. Uh, you have an outline. And uh, you need to write. You need to jot some things down. And uh, I will talk sometimes slow, but sometimes fast, and be able to help you as we move through this particular outline. As you think about it, uh, we're talking about Saul the killer. But I want to remind you of the theme of the book of Acts. The Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And as you read through the book of Acts, don't ever forget 
that God the Spirit is working through the individuals to accomplish His goals. We cannot lose sight of the foundation of all this. And as the, the screen has changed again, you'll notice almost right away, you see these words, foundation, the resurrection of the Lord. Now we're in the Easter season, and we'll be, as a church, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not asking for you to make a response. But do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose again from the dead? And as you read through the book of Acts, over and over and over and over again, resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. And I'm here to tell you that the most significant event in the history of Christianity is up from the grave he arose. And we need to understand that over and over and over again, resurrection, resurrection, and the Holy Spirit through the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the Holy Spirit that works in our lives that we can be involved in serving God and winning the battle that we're in. There's another issue that you'll see as this comes up on the screen. Uh, what's, what's the mission in the book of Acts? That's a very simple question to answer. And it's worth writing down if you have, have your pens handy. Uh, the mission is, is multiplying disciples and building churches. And I'm not talking about building church buildings. I'm talking about building people in the church. And as we read through the book of Acts over and over again, like 25 times, it talks about the church multiplying, the church growing, people coming to know Christ. And so we're thinking about the book of Acts and the founding fathers. Uh, there may be one more uh, picture. I'm not, I'm not even sure. And no, that's not it. So, so, you, so you didn't see it. Now let's look at this. You have this in your hand. I appreciate you just taking a moment and seeing what it says, especially at the very, very top. Uh, we're dealing with one man's salvation story. That word salvation is so important. If you read through the scriptures, you'll find out that there are two other words that go with it. The word Savior and the word saved and added to the word salvation. It frankly startled me last week when I was looking at this text and thinking about salvation that over 185 times in the New Testament salvation is mentioned, Savior is mentioned, saved. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you understand who He is? What He's done for each one of us? And notice, and notice on this outline 
after it says one man's salvation story, uh, there, there, there's, a, there's a phrase there that is very important, not just for today, but in our lives. The transforming power of God's amazing grace can save anyone. You don't know a guy that I've known for about 18 years, Bubba. <laughs> Bubba's wife, Bubba's brother-in-law, Bubba's sister-in-law told me on several occasions, Bubba will never trust Christ as his Savior. It wasn't awful long ago that unsavable Bubba Trusted Christ as his Savior. Do you have a Bubba in your life? Or maybe you're a Bubba. We're talking about Saul. And as we look at several things this morning, we'll learn pretty quickly that only God's amazing grace could change the heart and the mind and the soul of Saul. If you're looking at the outline I've given you, uh, you see right under the word transforming power of God's amazing grace, you see three different statements. And those three different statements are very important. The man before change on the right hand side, the man at the time of the change, and the man showing his change. Now, I don't know where you are in your uh, quote unquote faith journey, but you're in one of these categories. Just like Saul, just like Bill Park, just like Bubba. As we think about it, if you turn it on the side, on the top, you see a, a box there that has five terms. It's talking about this man Saul before he trusted Christ as his Savior. And you want to might just highlight a couple things as I fly down through this. You study the scriptures and you find out that he was an aristocrat. Uh, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's where the blank comes in, gang. You see, he was a Roman citizen of Jewish descent. And he had all kinds of advantages. Because of his birthing and because of who he was. He was an aristocrat. Uh, he was a, a scholar. Here's another blank. Uh, he was a superior, educated person. He was raised in the town of Tarsus. And that town was a university city. Uh, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the Bible tells us which was the most celebrated rabbi teacher at that time in Judaism. Uh, he was a statesman. 
His voice was heard in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a ruling body. And that ruling body made big decisions. I don't know how it was said or what was done because I was not there. But I kind of think in my mind, because of what I've learned about Saul, that the Sanhedrin was making a choice about crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in my mind, I can just kind of visualize for a minute Saul sitting in that crowd. And you may remember, as you read the scriptures, what was going on that people were shouting and yelling. And what were they shouting? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And I happen to believe that the person leading the band was Saul. That he was rounding up members of the Sanhedrin and rounding up those members to make sure when they came to a vote that they voted to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were very, very, very religious. The Pharisees were separated individuals, and they were, here's the blank, one step above everyone else. They prided themselves in the, what we call the law. They prided themselves in learning the, the, the Old Testament. They prided themselves in getting everyone else to listen in to them. And they put their chest out often. And they were very proud and sometimes very arrogant people. And these very religious people also were saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Saul was saying, keep it up, guys. You got to get rid of this guy named Jesus. The last thing there is a persecutor of Jesus and his followers. And you notice we had it up on the screen already in the past. It said Saul the killer. And you see all kinds of verses all around everything that I'm sharing with you. And you look at these verses and that, that's exactly what it says. And so you can understand who he is. Now, just for a minute, as we're talking about this man before he changed, I would like just to reflect on something that Saul said after he was changed. He evaluated himself. And in the book of Timothy, he talks about the fact that he trusted Christ as his Savior, talked about the fact that he was a changed individual, and he looks back to this time before he was changed, and this is what he said. He says, I was a blasphemer. I was an attacker of Christ. I was an aggressive opponent of all 
Christians. I was ignorant in my unbelief. And last but not least, I myself, Paul, am the highest ranking sinner. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I was number one sinner. Now, wouldn't that be an interesting thing to vote on today? Don't raise your hand, please. Who's the number one sinner in this room? Sin is very serious. And you know what Paul said? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what Paul said? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We call that salvation. And as he was looking at his own heart and his own mind and seeing the circumstance of his life, he identified all these things I just said. He said, I'm the worst. Please don't tell anybody this. I'm a pretty bad sinner. I'm depraved. How about about you? It's a very serious thought. As we're dealing with the change in one particular man's life. And that one particular man who had a lot of credentials, but he identified himself as the number one sinner. He said, I don't deserve to be an apostle because of what I've done. Interesting, isn't it? I want you to notice the next block down. And I hope you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 9, and you can see me pulling my Bible out of the stack here, I just want to read to you uh, the first nine verses. Notice what it says. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. And by the way, Damascus is about 160 miles away. It's a long walk. So that if he found any belonging to the way, that's how sometimes biblical Christianity is identified. Men or women, he might bring them bound, tied, to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And listen to the rest of this. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he, Saul, said, Who are you, Lord? 
And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes opened, he saw nothing. And they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. You can notice that there are four numbers on that outline. You notice I've just simply said four important elements. Now, As I read through this and think about it, It's obvious to me that in the middle of the day, this incredible bright light outshined the sun. And this incredible bright light stunned Saul. This incredible bright light gripped Saul with fear. This incredible bright light terrorized him. I do not know how he fell. Whether he staggered and stumbled and slipped, but down on the ground he went. I think it's fair to say that his whole being was charged or changed or electrified because of what was going on in this very, very dramatic moment in his life. Notice the first point in the little outline that's there. Why did this happen? Well, it just simply says he saw a light that was the light. Does anybody know who that is? The Lord. Technically, this is what we call theologically a, a theophany. It just simply means that the the appearance of Christ happens here and there, especially in biblical times. So we call this a theophany. When Jesus Christ appeared to, in this particular case, Saul, as he appeared to Stephen, the first person we studied. you remember what Jesus said when he was on planet earth? He said, I am the light. What's the rest of it, class? Of the what? That was terrible. I am the light of the what? World. The light. It's, it's not only interesting that this man saw the light, but he also saw the resurrected Savior, the resurrected Lord, the resurrected God. He saw him. He was confronted by him. For three days, he was blinded by it. I don't know what it's like to be blind. 
I've had a friend for many years who's totally blind. He was led around everywhere. He held down a job, but he held down the job. He was able to sit in a seat and move parts from something to another place, and he did it for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week for a long time. He was totally blind. And at this moment in time, this man that I described to you as an aristocrat, as a statesman, as a member of the Sanhedrin, was helpless in his blindness. And we don't know what was going on in his mind. But obviously, this is a very strange event, a remarkable event. And some people say one of the most remarkable events in the history of Christianity other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's astounding. That's astounding. You notice the second, second one, number two. Uh, he heard the word from God. And remember what God said. Why are you persecuting me? Now, Paul, looking back in the book of Romans again, he said these words, which many of you have heard before. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And I think he was looking back in that circumstance, and he realized when he was confronted by the Lord God Almighty, and the Lord God Almighty had a very short conversation with him, that he was hearing the word of God. Not only was he hearing the word of God, he was heard this question, Saul, Saul, twice, emphasis, strength. Why are you persecuting me, the Lord God Almighty? I don't know whether Saul took it all in. I think he may have understood that there was an incredible bond between the Lord Jesus Christ and all his followers. We who are Christians. And when Saul was persecuting the Christians, he was persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ was reminding him, when you hurt one of mine, you hurt me. You notice on this outline, on the right-hand side, it gives some boxes. And the top box just simply says that Saul was a proud religionist. But remember what Saul said as he's confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Now, we don't want to get into a long discussion about this. But you know that the name Lord identifies God? You know that the name Lord 
is the creator of the universe. You know that the name Lord represents master, uh, uh, authority, ruler. You realize the name Lord identifies the Son of God who gave his life for you and for me. Lord. I wonder a little bit what Saul understood when this name came up and he said, Saul's the one said, who are you, Lord? I'm not making a guess here, but in the entire Bible, over 7,000 times the name Lord appears. And here it's being used. He was stunned. He was on the ground. He was blind. Who are you, Lord? And here we see Paul taking a whole other step. He had spent his time crucify him. He had spent his time approving of Stephen's stoning. He had spent his time organized the Sanhedrin to persecute people, persecute Christ and persecute Christians. And now he's in a very stunning situation. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Now you all know the answer because it's written right there. And Jesus responded and said, I am Jesus. I was thinking about that the other day, just kind of moseying around, and I, I, I got a little sheet of paper. You know, Jesus is the, I, I said that Jesus is the, the light of the world, the living light. Jesus is the name that Saul hated. Jesus is the name given by the angel. Jesus came uh, Christ's earthly name, Jesus, uh, the one beaten and crucified. Jesus, the rejected one who was crucified. Jesus, the dead man who's now alive. Something's happening in Paul's life. He's experiencing a, a, a supernatural situation. I want you to notice the next two things that are on that sheet. It says this. He trusted Christ as his Savior. Saul pointed back to his salvation experience. Many times. And here we see an internal response to an external event. It does not say in the text that he trusted Christ as a Savior. It doesn't say that. But all you need to go to six other times he talks about this event in the Scriptures, and it's very clear that he understood that he was facing the Lord Jesus Christ, he was facing the resurrected Savior, and he was soaking it in and making an impact in his own life. And he decided, here's a very simple term for you all, to follow Jesus. I need to stop for a second. This time is running out. 
Have you personally trusted Christ as your Savior? Many of you have been here many times. You've heard the word faithfully preached by my son. And he communicates so well over and over again the gospel, the truth of the scriptures. You're hearing the word of God. But have you taken the step of placing your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Or maybe you're here for the first or second, third time. I don't know. You're hearing it right now. You see, we, we, we need to understand that God's work in the hearts of individuals promotes faith that makes a relationship between God and the individual. And my question today is, do you have that relationship? Are you 100% sure if you die right now, you wake up in heaven? If you and I were standing in the presence of the Lord in heaven, and Jesus walked up to you and said, why should I let you into my heaven? You may not believe this, but most people answer that question wrong. But there's only one answer. I recognize that I was a sinner, and I place my trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Are you 100% sure if you die right now, you'd wake up into heaven? Now listen, we're, we're really at the end. We've talked about the man before the change. He was a sinner. We talked about the man in the time of change. Number four is he chose to obey the Lord. And he said, arise and go. And he went. But he had to be led. And we don't have the time to go through the rest of Acts chapter 9. But I went through Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. And I said, now how many things from verse 10 to verse 31 shows us that Saul became part of God's family. Now, if you want to examine my Bible afterwards, you're more than welcome. Just don't steal it. Because that's sin. And uh, you know how many I found? Eleven. Eleven different statements about him praying, about him being baptized, about him being a disciple, about him proving that Christ was the Christ. Over and over again. And you notice on the little outline I gave you, I filled it in intentionally because I knew time would run out. And you see, the man shows his change. And just read down it. When we, you, me, Saul, trusted Christ as our personal Savior, we joined a new family. It's called the family of God. We had a new focus. We wanted to live for Christ. He preached, preached boldly in the name of Jesus, proving that Jesus was the Christ. He was in a new fight. You notice in this chapter, I know you haven't read through it, three times it says that the Jewish people were so upset at what happened in his life, they said, we need to kill him. Get rid of him. And they had to get him overboard and get him away 
where we have lost his life. And the last is a new future. You see, he became a faithful servant of the Lord. That's all that God wants. He wants you. He wants me. He wants us to be a faithful servant of the Lord. I want to go back again, and I said it already once, and I said it intentionally, and I'm saying it intentionally now. If you would die right now, would you wake up in heaven? That's a very, very important question. Let me put it this way. Are you 100% sure you'd wake up in heaven? Now, I'm sure that Saul is in heaven with the Lord. I want to be a little cocky about it. I'm sure that when I die, I will be in heaven with the Lord. Are you sure? If there's any doubt in your mind, as you're sitting here when we're closing the service, I want to use a very strong word. I beg you to trust Christ as your Savior right now. That in the quietness of your heart, you lift your voice to the Lord. You say something like this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died on the cross for my sin. And today, I place my trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Are you sure? Could you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can be here today. And we're thankful for those folks who have come in this morning service. We just hear the story of one man's salvation. And that man was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ. He placed his trust in the Lord. He changed his entire life. Lord, you know every heart and soul here. It's very possible that there are individuals who have never trusted Christ the Savior until this very moment. We pray that they would write it in the card. We could help them continue on their journey of loving and serving and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for the special teaching in our Founding Fathers series. We hope that it's encouraged you in some way. We have been praying for you and are so glad that you've logged on. Before you go, go to branchlife.church and fill out that connection card. We would love to hear from you. We would love to pray for you. And we hope that you'll join us next time as we go further and deeper in our faith.